0: Hello and welcome to the Recovering CEO Podcast. Uh, my name is Derek Maribon. I'm the Recovering CEO, and I'm here with a very special guest. Some of you may know him as the Sober Exec, which I think is awesome. Uh, he's a fellow Spartan named Chris Anthony. He's a business leader, public speaker, coach, mentor, and lifelong student, striving to be of service to others. Uh, Chris has over 25 years experience in technology. He currently serves as the vice president. Of U.S. consumer goods at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Uh, prior to that, he joined Exact Target, which is an email software company that was acquired by Salesforce for 2.5 billion. Uh, Chris founded the Sober Exec to help one or more person navigate their journey through sobriety. Uh, he's been sober for over 16 years. He studied marketing at Michigan State, and he currently lives in Los Angeles with his wife and two children. So, good morning, Chris.
1: Good morning, Derek. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I was re- I was really glad I found you because how cool is it that, um, first of all, you're a Spartan. Uh, yeah. You live in one of my favorite places, uh, Los Angeles, which I love. And, uh, and then also you're sober, right? And you've come out in the business world to try and make an impact and to reduce stigma. I just love it, Chris.
1: Yeah, well, uh thank you for the kind words and and all of that and and you nailed it. I I am sober and I'm I'm visible about it. That's not always true, which we can talk about, and it's been very humbling and eye-opening going through 16 almost 17 years of sobriety. Um but yeah, it's it's been a joy and I I really appreciate the recognition.
0: Yeah. So, um Chris, you know, I don't know if you know a little bit about me, but I think it's it's crazy because I started the, the uh, recovering CEO. You, you've already had the sober exec for a few years, which is kind of mind blowing. But it, to me, it says something that great minds think alike or that there is a need. <laughs> there is a need for something like this, right? Like you've seen it. You work at Salesforce, which is a huge company. I work at a small company, right? So I think it's, it, it, it's become apparent to you. Is that, is that accurate that, that there is a need for reducing stigma and helping in, in the workplace?
1: I, I absolutely think there is a need to, re- to reduce this, the stigma, and i lived the stigma. I bought into the stigma for 15 straight years, and I hid my sobriety in shame. I, I thought it was something to be ashamed of. I thought it was something that um, wasn't something I should be proud of. I had an error in my thoughts, and I, I I had a couple wake up moments. I'm happy to talk about those as well. But, um, I I had to, I changed my thinking, and and ever since then, it's been the greatest gift because I have folks like yourself who I've crossed paths with now, and others who reach out and ask for help and say, "Hey, I'm ashamed, and I shouldn't be." You're right. There's no shame in being healthy. So, it's been just a wonderful journey.
0: Hmm. All right, good. Well, well, I want to get to all those kind of awakenings and, and you yeah. know, you could call them spiritual experiences, but let, let, let's go back just a little bit because you and I were both in Michigan State in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, that was where I did most of my drinking. Um, and just so you know, it's very interesting now because my daughter is a freshman. And yesterday I saw her post some pictures from, you know, daytime parties at fraternities of St. Patrick's Day. And it's like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And she's very aware of my addiction. You know, that was one thing with my children, Mm as I told them, because one of my jobs as a father is to kind of break the cycle. You know, I I can't, I don't know if they're alcoholic or addict. I I know they may have some tendencies, but I want them to go in eyes wide open, you know, so, um, so she knows about alcoholism, (laughs) but you know, and I told her you can go to these darties sober (laughs) and you'll be able to interact much more nicely, you know, so I don't know, but, uh, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your time at Michigan state. Did you, uh, partake in some beverages while you were there?
1: absolutely i mean i i personified every aspect of college life and and was the life of the party for sure and i just thought it was the normal course of what you do and i i think in a lot of ways it definitely is but for myself there was i would say a more insidious dark just problem developing through it and um I wasn't aware at the time, but I wasn't dealing with a lot of things that had happened across my childhood and home life and, and things that just drinking was a great escape. And I looked to your left and your right in college and everybody's doing it too. So it felt normal and hey, it was fun and you didn't have to deal with problems. So it just took me a long time. It wasn't until you know, I was in my 30s before it really became deeply problematic and I had to shut it down. But yeah, it's part of college life. No doubt about it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, I because I, I drank a lot and then I switched to marijuana because I didn't like hangovers and I never wanted to drink and drive. Um, but it was mm-hmm. interesting, Chris, because after I graduated, I had a lot of shame in relation to Michigan State University because obviously it was a wonderful place, but it took me six years to graduate and I never
1: mm-hmm.
0: realized. And And somebody pointed this out to me, actually a therapist, she said, you know, you had a full-on disease of active alcoholism that was trying to kill you. So just the fact that you graduated is like a miracle. Like don't feel bad about it. And um, and it took me years mm-hmm. to feel good to go back on campus, but now I feel at peace, right? Because I've kind of removed, gotten rid of that feeling of shame, and I can live in the light now. And uh, now I love Michigan State again in East Lansing. But for so long, it just it it almost made me feel scared to go back on campus. I don't know if you ever felt any type of feelings like that, but.
1: I, I I didn't, or I, I haven't. What's really ironic though, Derek, is when I started speaking out about my sobriety and being more visible with it, Michigan State came to me and asked me if I would talk about it openly. There's a recovery community at Michigan State, which I, I'm actually speaking to soon, um, more in a, a virtual session. But I was interviewed, Uh, Russ White has a great show on the college radio station there. He's been doing that for 25 years. And I got interviewed on that uh, with Don Kepler from the um, Collegiate uh, Recovery Community at Michigan State. And I'm sure that because life is ironic, it goes full circle. And the, the one place where I would say I accelerated into my crazy life becomes the same vehicle that comes back to me years later. And I'm sharing what I learned and what gr- where I've grown from that time. So it's it's kind of kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Like I, I always felt like I was the worst student at Michigan State University. And I know you you were able to drink, you know for quite a few years after college. I, I stopped right it after college, but uh, you know, they had me back. So I worked with uh, Luanna Simon on some presidential advisory stuff, and I also oh, taught a class nice. there for 12 years. Which I thought was hilarious because I was the worst student ever. and I, I here I was teaching 200 <laughs> students a semester a class about digital I marketing. I love that. I know. I love
1: that. That's yeah, I mean it, it's the promises. The promises of it all, yeah, Derek. and you know you you found very similar and even more so, you you have now uh, been able to connect the dots between you know where you started in your sobriety and are able to come back to the same place where you found struggles um, you're able to give back in a different way. That's super cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, we, we all got to help, right? I think that's the feeling that I think you and I mm-hmm. uh, can share. So, so tell me about this because you've had what I would consider to be a very successful rise in the corporate world. You know, you were part of, um, exact target, right? You, you were acquired, you've worked at Salesforce, mm-hmm. you've been very successful. First of all, how did you manage that? Um, you know, because you were still probably drinking at the beginning of your career and then you got sober. And tell me about that transition from, you know, before you got sober and then living with being sober, but still being extremely successful.
1: Yeah, um, I found myself. Let, let's talk about before I got sober. First and foremost, I, I my drinking was something that I was refusing to acknowledge that my life was falling apart in many ways. And yet I wasn't willing to acknowledge that it was tied to that. The drinking was tied to that uh, falling apart. My marriage was not going well. My performance at work wasn't going well. And it's not that I was drinking on the job, but it was, if I'm going out and taking it very deep, partying all night long, I'm sorry, you can't come to work the next day and be your best self consistently every single day. You just can't. And, and I, you know, happy hours or anything else. Just, I was the guy. It was like lighting a fuse. Like I'm the fun party guy. And, and like I said, it was, it was messing up my marriage and it just wasn't headed in a good place. And I, it it showed in my work. I mean, it was just, it wasn't good. And, And so I found myself in a situation where I needed to stop drinking. My mom was dying of cancer. Um, I, I had to take some time to get sober. I knew it deep in my soul, and and I made the declaration that I was going to get sober. Whole story behind that, but I I did. And June twentieth, two thousand five, um, was the last time I drank, and I have honored that sobriety ever since then. Uh, and, and so, my life started to get better. Imagine that. I mean, my marriage got better. Right. My work performance got better. Everything around me got better. Now, as you were saying at the top of this um, podcast here, just because you stop one thing doesn't mean you know you you get to stop dealing with all the stuff and challenges we have in our life. And it's a, it's a day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute thing we have to manage. There is no finish line here. But I was clear headed, and I could start to work on myself, and so. About a year later, an opportunity opened up to me to join what was exact target that ultimately became Salesforce. And so here's the, the key thing I want to stress out of this, though, Derek, is the fact that I found sobriety, I started to work on myself, started to improve and find myself in a better spot. I was really mad at myself and disappointed in myself that I had to stop drinking. I couldn't handle it. How weak of me, I used to think that I couldn't control alcohol, something bigger than me existed. Um, But I was a part of a company that was growing and I was able to prove myself and grow and grow and grow along the way. All the while I never stopped long enough to think, huh, I wonder why I'm having success in my career. I wonder why I'm having a good run. I would have never thought at the time it was because I made that decision to stop drinking and be clear headed and work on myself. I just refused to acknowledge that because I was so deeply ashamed. Um, my thinking changed on that when I hit the fifteen year mark, um, but it was a long road to get there. It was very shame filled.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, just out of curiosity, because I know so stopping drinking is is not always easy. There's, you know. Um, it's difficult. And, you know, they say it takes you a year or a few years to kind of get your head on straight. You know, I, did you, was there a Mm -hmm. period where you had to kind of relearn and refine your footing uh, as far as being a sober individual versus having alcohol as a crutch?
1: Absolutely. I, I, right out of the gate, I had to from, from getting sober and anybody who, I think anybody who said, either I'm done drinking or using or insert whatever vice is bad. If you're doing it in a group setting, even if you're taking a month off because you're doing a, I don't know, a whole 30 or a diet, I mean, the amount of uh, questions you get, the amount of like almost hazing that happens in that moment, because you're making a declaration, hey, I'm no longer doing something that I have deemed unhealthy, or I'm taking a break from doing something unhealthy. It's a different world you're entering. And and this comes back to a lot of the stigma, but no, well, what's going on? Did you have a problem with it? Did you have a challenge with it? Why are you stopping doing this? And and with drinking specifically, like it's, it's crazy. It's people really go deep on that for, for whatever reason. So you have to find your identity in a way of like the new you and how to talk about it and be comfortable and proud and confident of it when you can. Um, I had to relearn all of that. I also, you know, I talked about shame here a little bit. I also just had to learn to navigate away from a lot of those difficult conversations at the time. And for 15 straight years before I decided to start speaking out about my sobriety, um, I was avoiding conversations or I avoid situations where I'd have to talk about my sobriety. And um, that's a whole change in who you are and how you handle situations. And so it was definitely finding new footing.
0: Yeah. You know, I remember when I, when I was getting sober, I also, so in addition to quitting drinking, I went vegetarian and I kind of like packaged everything together, started working out and I just told people, yeah, I'm on a health kick. You know, I quit eating meat, quit drinking, just yeah. throw the drinking in there casually. But uh, it was a dramatic change, you know, and um, it really was. But yeah, it, you're right. Cause people, people are kind of obsessed with it and it's partially because they want everyone to drink like them <laughs> right um, yeah. it feels better when everyone's drinking and when someone doesn't it kind of makes p- some people feel a little uncomfortable sometimes
1: it can it, it can for sure and it, it, the irony here is if you tell somebody um, hey I quit smoking because I was getting lung cancer and it was literally killing me people are like oh man good for you was that tough yeah good. Cigarettes are bad. (laughs) If you say I quit drinking because literally it was killing me, people are like, whoa, hold on a second. What's going on? What do you mean? So I, I, hey, I, I don't judge others. It is what it is. I just, my ask always is, is that if someone's making a healthy decision, whether it's smoking or stopping drinking or stop eating too much cheesecake, give people a break. Let them be okay with making that change. They're simply being healthy. Healthy is being healthy. Honor that.
0: Hmm. yeah so you know you talk about cheesecake um chris honestly <laughs> i i i feel like i'm addicted to everything sugar you know uh i don't gamble because i know it's dangerous but i love sports i go to michigan state all their football all their basketball games um you know there, there's everything out there that i'm addicted to you know scrolling on my phone mm-hmm. and really it's, it's all just trying to numb and escape you know so i i've had to try and mm-hmm. You know create habits right so the positive activities replacing negative activities like drinking with positive like working out i've been working on meditation which Mm -hmm. has always been difficult but lately there's been these apps and things you could use so um yeah but what type of what type of healthy habits are you using to kind of balance a stressful maybe executive job with you know sobriety and being a good father and husband all that stuff how do you how do you balance it all
1: yeah i think one of the most important things to establish is really thinking about what your life's vision or purpose is and it took me a very long time to get super crystal clear on what my purpose in this world is but setting a vision for yourself and what in documenting some of the values that you stand for are is a great way to memorialize on paper here's my vision for my life here are things that i value and in revisiting those daily and so you're touching on some really good things that are challenges for anybody with any kind of addiction is, is that this, this burning need for more. And it's really what you're describing in my mind is this, this addiction to more, more cheesecake, more scrolling, more insert, whatever. And so what I've discovered is, is that routine is my friend. And that when I revisit my vision and my purpose, and I literally do it every single day and I mix it with does this action reflect my vision and my values? It has really helped me pause myself for making a bad decision. By the way, I'm not good at not eating a lot of cheesecake, but it we're working on that. And we all are working on something. We can always have more discipline. But staying centered on purpose and values I have found personally and professionally, no matter what, and having routine behind it introduces discipline and a framework to operate in. Um, It was Einstein. It's an old Einstein quote. I'm big on quotes, but um, inside a discipline lives freedom. Excuse me. My voice is going out a little bit here. Inside a discipline lives freedom. And you hear some thought leaders today say, discipline equals freedom. And uh, either way you put it, it's true. Is when you have discipline within a framework, you can find a lot more freedom from vices or from insert whatever. So that's how I've been able to really take the control, and I should say manage uh, all of that addiction. to more.
0: Yeah, I love that, Chris. That's wonderful. You know, and let me quote. Let me quote. Um, the great Mel Tucker, when he says, keep chopping, you know, and Mel's teach Michigan state football coach. And he's teaching these kids. He says, you know, I don't want you to get too high. I don't want you to get too low. I want you to be able to forget about what just happened, the last play and just stay focused on the goal. And um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I've even taken that philosophy to heart, you know, because I, I am good at the highs and the lows. Right. But how do I stay consistent? Um, the other person that I think about when I hear you talk about uh, being inside the discipline gives you freedom Right mm-hmm. so well there's also that there's the 12 steps right so living inside you know with these principles uh it gives me the freedom to be the person that I want and to do anything I want really you know as they say we can go anywhere and do mm-hmm. anything as long as we kind of maintain our our spiritual condition or our our peace of mind um mm-hmm. but I also think about someone like uh Zuckerberg I don't know if you're a fan or not but I like how he wears like the same outfit every day so his whole closet is full of the same t-shirt and the same pants and then he doesn't have to think about it I just, I love that it's a simplicity concept, you know?
1: Yeah, there is brilliance in simplicity. And back to this idea of, yes, to everything you're saying, this framework creates simplicity. And the more you can operationalize your day and your time, I have found that it's a game of small wins. If you've read Atomic Habits by James Clear, um, you know, every one of his quotes, and we're having fun with quotes here. So let's keep going. He, he says, every action you take is a vote, good or bad, for a future version of yourself. I love that because when we make the conscious decision to follow routine, have discipline in what we do, honor our vision and our values, your likelihood to make better votes for yourself now and in the future are much higher. Furthermore, good habits, no matter how small of a win in them, compound and move you to new levels of growth. And by the way, we could be talking about anything with this. I, I know like we're we're talking about you and I are having a conversation about managing addiction. This could be anything. This is like getting better at learning something. It could be exercise, it could be doing your job more effectively. So the simplicity in the framework is all there. It's a matter of Creating one and staying true to it, and constantly adapting and getting better from it. In my mind, Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm.
0: You know, and uh, it's interesting because I I have not read that book, even though I need to. But I did listen to, and maybe you listened to it as well. Brene Brown interviewed him in her podcast uh, last fall. Yeah, and it just blew my mind, right? So yeah, each small step, like just do one push up if you can't do (laughs) fifty. I love that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, his thing is progress over perfection, and um the, the book spoke to me, and I am confident it will to you as well, just around like what it's like having to manage addiction or manage this, this daily, I don't want to say monkey in our back, but it's something that we have to manage constantly. And when you think in terms of small wins that stack up and compound over time, um, it makes so much sense. Good habits or bad habits, you pay the price for them. And it's all about small habits that help you win more often.
0: Yeah. And it was interesting to me because sometimes you look at these people and they're so successful, right? Whether it's the author of that book, Brene Brown, all these people. But then he fully admitted on the podcast that he wrote down all these recommendations because he struggles with being disciplined, waking up on time, doing something every day. So he, he turned that into a whole way for living. So nobody's perfect, right? It all takes a little bit of effort and awareness, right?
1: No, nobody's perfect. There's the line, mechanics drive the worst cars. I don't know if that's actually true. If anybody that's a mechanic listening to say, no, I have an awesome, totally tuned up car. But a lot of times that happens is we get really good at fixing other people, fixing other things, but we forget in the process to fix ourselves. And we have to remember to take care of ourselves. I think that's really, really important. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, so tell me, you know, you've been in business for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. some of these principles, Chris, you know, that you're teaching and that you personify. um, Do do you see other executives struggling with this stuff too? I mean, you know, I know you've said you've seen a lot or now that you're come out of sober, people talk to you. Um, Do you feel like addiction in the workplace is is a problem? Um, And are we raising awareness in general?
1: Um, It's a problem. I think that there are a, especially in sales, I'm in sales, by the way, just for perspective, you might've said that at the intro, but I'm in, I'm in sales and sales is a very wine and dine type of culture. It's just, it's, it's alcohol and partying is very much a part of this industry, this culture, no matter what is being sold. I think alcohol is just like central to it. It's just a key part of it. My point in just, focusing in on sales for a second is, is that I've heard a lot more horror stories, if you will, about uh, individuals coming to me and saying, hey, I, I I, am ashamed of being sober, or I'm ashamed of just not drinking. Forget about not being sober. Some people just don't drink. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact. And, and yet they're ashamed of it because they are being made to feel as if they're not a part of the team. And they feel as if it's keeping them back from growing. I thought that for a very long time. I believed me not drinking was a weakness of keeping me back from growing. I was still successful. I still had a great career. My, my point though is is that it is still a problem in the workplace. It. I think, has only been accelerated more and more with the pandemic where, you know, someone could be sitting on a Zoom call with a mug. I'm holding up a mug because you and I are in video together. But, you know, who knows? I could have a glass of wine in it for some cases. I think this idea of the visibility of addiction suddenly got put away for two years moving to Zoom. It opened up a lot more opportunities for addicts to use and consume. And so long way of getting to it is still a massive problem. It is still massively stigmatized. I am trying to normalize it to the best of my ability. I'm grateful that I work for an amazing company, Salesforce. And by the way, I mean I'm here speaking as Chris, not on behalf of Salesforce. But I'm really proud of my company. I mean, they they have honored my sobriety. No one's ever come to me and said, "Whoa, hey, stop talking openly about your sobriety." Not at all. In fact, just the opposite. We've created a group internally that celebrates sobriety. We can talk about that too, but like, yeah. I think that's the exception, not the rule. I, I hear people all the time come forward and say, I'm scared at my job because what'll be thought about me, or I won't get an opportunity to grow in my job because I'm sober. I'm like, that's awful. You're being healthy and you're, you feel suppressed from being able to grow. That's not okay. So by me speaking out, and trying to just help others feel okay with sobriety and like, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I think in my career, in my life, and I'm proud of what I created. I know my purpose and I'm sober. So let's normalize this. Let's be okay with this and not hold it against somebody, but there's still no a long way to go. What do you think? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I, I do think it's very interesting. you know, And if you think about it, Chris, like some of the mistakes that happen, some of the biggest mistakes that happen in corporate America where, you know, people get get fired or they cross boundaries, you know, they often almost always involve alcohol. And I think that's the people that, that's the thing that nobody ever wants to talk about. Like, you know, I did this stupid thing when I was drunk and, um, you know, there's that old saying in AA that says, you know, every time I drank, I didn't always get in trouble or arrested, but every time I got in trouble or arrested, I was always drinking, right? So, I think, you know, sobriety in the workplace really for longevity and for being able to avoid all these um, me too moments and these things where you're going to cross boundaries and get in trouble is very helpful to be sober and like more clear thinking. So Mm -hmm. it's a no brainer for me.
1: Yeah, I I, absolutely. I just you feel to hear that individuals are struggling or feel like they can't be themselves or, or can't um, feels as if they're limited simply by a choice they're making is just so concerning to me and something I just I, I want to try to normalize as much as possible. It, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown and, and she, she makes a really good point, which I, I wholeheartedly agree with. And I and I'm talking about being more visible and proud of, you know, these healthy choices and sobriety that we're making. Um, it doesn't mean working your stuff out loud. Um, in other words, like it, this isn't about like, I'm going to work all my problems out publicly and put it on everybody else to help me solve. I mean, there's the difference between asking for help and being visible with like what you're working out. I'm simply saying just having some pride and normalizing, making healthy choices. And that's what this is about is we, we all have something. I don't care who you are we all have something that weighs on our shoulders and it can be addiction it can be hurts it can be loss there's something no one no one is free of that i can i, I know this to be true um and that's okay like let's normalize that let's just honor when someone makes a healthy choice to be a better person i think that's absolutely fantastic <laughs> and uh i want to just respect that through and through and create an environment where it's more normalized and visible
0: yeah, I love that. And I know you mentioned uh, your Sober sober Force, it's called, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. How does that help people at, at Salesforce?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks for asking. So, so on June 20th, 2020, which was exactly 15 years of my sobriety, I quote, unquote, came out about my sobriety. And I, I put an article on LinkedIn called 15 Things I Learned in 15 Years of Sobriety. And there, the lead up to that, mind you, I hid and would never have dreamed for 15 years before that I would do that. But I put this article out there. I decided it was time. No more like masking and being disappointed in myself for being sober. I'm proud of it. And it's the reason I have the life I have. So I decided to put it out there. And that was really scary. And I thought, oh man, what's going to happen? Am I going to get judged? And Am- what's going to happen. But I just, in my soul, I knew I just needed to be more visible about being sober and stop being ashamed of it. So I did it. And of course, zero bad things happened. In fact, just the opposite, the most beautiful thing happened. Within an hour, someone sent me a message and said, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. I need help badly. I'm not going to make it through the day. Can you help me? And in that moment, and that person got help. by the way, But the beauty of that was, is that in that moment, I found my purpose in this world. And that is to be of service to others. The other thing that happened among many things that ties back to your question is some other executives at Salesforce. Three others actually um, saw the post and said, awesome. We love that. Thanks for doing that. We're sober, too. Maybe we should talk and do something with this. And so the four of us got together. And we got on a Zoom and we said, wow, this is awesome. We're four executives in highly visible roles in this incredible company. And what can we do to help others? And, and at Salesforce, we have um, uh, quality resource groups and, and affinity groups, like we have Vet Force for veterans. Um, And it's all play on the Salesforce name. We have Faith Force bringing together religious communities. Uh, We have Ability Force for anybody that's um, mobily challenged. All kinds of different forces that is a beautiful thing in our company that brings communities together. So we created Sober Force. And like overnight, we have 300 members. And and it it ran the gamut like it was people that are sober and want to stay sober It was allies, spouses of sober people. I mean, just insert all different interests in the sober community. We suddenly had a whole new internal community we didn't even know existed that was created overnight. And a lot of anonymous people, of course, like tons of people that have messaged us quietly and said, hey, I'm watching, I'm following. I'm preferring not to disclose my participation. Great. No problem but the fact that they're getting something from it, and we've had lots of people reach out for help. We've been able to be more visible. We've had um, guest speakers. It's really a beautiful thing. And, And now we have other big organizations coming to us saying, how do we duplicate this? How do we create a sober force type community in our company? So it's just been one of the most rewarding things I've been able to have the gift of being a part of.
0: Yeah, that is that is so exciting. How amazing that that the catalyst of that one article, that one detailed post, was a catalyst to all that. Right? So cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, for, so, so for ta- sure. And, and, and yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, tell me a little bit about you know some of the some of this wisdom. You know, like what are, what are some of the important things that you learned that could help someone who's trying to get sober, newly sober, and trying to live life in the workforce?
1: Yeah. Um... There's a, a lot of wisdom to share, but I'll highlight some big learnings that I've had in this process just from the before and after of being in silence about it to uh, coming out the other side of being much more visible and, and open about sobriety. And so I think I'll go back to this idea of really have some pride in the fact that if we are. I shouldn't say we, if an individual is making a healthy choice to be sober, feel good about that. Feel great that you're honoring your health to be a better version of yourself. In my mind, when someone says, and again, I don't care if it's an addiction thing or some kind of self improvement, when someone's working on themselves to be a better version of themselves and puts them even better in a position to help others, got to tell you, there is nothing cooler than that. It's badass. And we need to feel good about that. But we forget and get caught up in shame and what will other people say and think and try to remember that you're not alone and that it's okay to create a better version of yourself. Don't get caught up in the future. Don't get caught up in the past. Be focused on the moment now and be proud that you're doing something to create a better version of yourself. It is admirable, it is cool, and there is nothing wrong with just trying to improve yourself. So that's the big one that I spent 15 years denying that me making healthy choices every single second for 15 straight years was a shameful thing. I, I wasted, I, I don't want to say wasted, I'm exactly where I should be, but I spent 15 years thinking me being. A healthier version of myself was something to be ashamed of, and if someone can hear that and feel better about the fact that you don't need to feel bad, in fact, it will get you so much farther. Healthy choice of any kind will get you so much farther than you ever can imagine. You will accelerate your progress far far faster than I did, and do even greater things. So there's a there's a wisdom. Mm,
0: that's powerful. That is powerful. Um, no, I love that. I love that, Chris, And, and you're right. I think. You know sometimes we have feelings that are just like don't talk to strangers all these thoughts that are instilled at us you know there was that that shame that was just innate like don't talk about these things you know we don't we don't talk about these Mm -hmm. things these are family secrets these you know and it's all just bs right it's all just i don't know it's uh a friend of mine says you know one of the reasons people don't get sober is that it's it's very hard choice to live in the light you know it's it's sometimes just easier to live in the darkness. And it's nice that you've come out right into the light and helping others to expose their, you know, shine their lights as well. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's easy to keep kicking the can down the road and not taking things head on. I, I, I think that, you know, just to take what you said a little bit further, because I think it's very insightful is when you, when you're signing up for no longer muting, whatever pain you have inside or whatever, misery, you may be uh, dampening with, you know, other choices or or, or refusing to take head on. That's hard work. That's why I say people that make a healthy choice like this, it's badass because you are being the toughest of tough. And it is hard to be vulnerable. It is hard to take on those moments. But I'd say that, you know, moments are fleeting and uh, yeah, you, you, it's easy to get caught up in the idea of, okay, I have maybe some big nasty things that I've got in my life or I've created in my life that I need to tackle or deal with. Well, the sooner you start dealing with them, the sooner you get to move beyond them and get to a better place. But that's hard to remember. That's scary. But it's all about just getting through the moment you're not trying to get through forever, you're just trying to get through the right now. And if you can embrace and lean into whatever hard pain and darkness that's there, it's going to fade so much faster than kicking it down the road. But it is very hard work and it's scary work, but it pays off.
0: Yeah, Chris, uh no, I'm so, I'm so happy I, I I'm so happy I met you, you know, and um one thing that this is interesting. I read this recently because uh, uh, I'm doing this workbook. It's called the Abandonment Workbook. Um, just because I was like, I was adopted, right? So you know, trauma or addiction is often caused by some sort of trauma in, from the past, and it takes work to figure out what that is and then to deal with it, so I don't have to like have that problem. But it says that if you suffered some sort of dramatic trauma at a young age, mm-hmm. then you spend the rest of your life in pain management. And that concept blew me away because you know my trauma happened when I was very young. I and mean, are you telling me I spent the rest of my life in pain management from age one or two or three when I had no concept? And that just blew my mind. And eventually, it evolved into alcohol and drugs and all these things. But um, what an interesting concept! Have you ever? I don't know. I just wanted to share that share that thought. I
1: I, I like it. I mean, I I think that um, it's very true, and and so. You have 25 years of sobriety. I have almost 17. Yep. Now, to somebody that has 25 days or 17 days or 25 minutes or 17 minutes of sobriety, I always say to those individuals that might look at someone like you and I that we haven't figured out. And what what I tell them is two things. One, I say, I definitely don't have it all figured out. And, and actually, that to that individual that's newly sober, I say, we're actually in the exact same place. Meaning that while I'm further down the road, the distance, the ditch for each of us is exactly the same. And we're the same distance away from making a bad decision. And, and the difference, though, is, is that you and I have a little bit more muscle memory. We've managed longer and we've found more tools. So we're on equal footing with the newest of newest sober people, but we just have built more muscle and more skills and tools. Ideally we have, and that's part of what we're out there to share. And that's what you're doing with this great podcast. And so it is something, and I'm tying this back to that, what you were talking about that you read in that workbook is, is that there is no finish line here. This is a marathon, not a sprint, and it is lifelong management of it, but when you have a framework, when you start to establish a vision for your life and things that you value and what you care about, that creates that framework to operate in and manage it day over day over day.
0: Yes. 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 Um, so I just have two more quick questions for you, Chris, because uh, I sure. know we want to wrap up soon. But uh, um, So I know you're on the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission. Did you have anything to do with the mm-hmm. recent Super Bowl that came to L.A.? And uh, just wanted to know if you wanted to share an experience on that.
1: Yeah, so uh, myself personally, I did not. Um, the Los Angeles Sports Entertainment Commission is really an exceptional organization that is all about helping the city of Los Angeles um, spread its wings from a visibility perspective for events, for tourism, um, for honoring those in the community. And anybody that like Googles it, the the amount of work that the organization does in the community is just exceptional. It's just super cool. Um, and the organization is also behind trying to help getting things like the super bowl and the LA 28 Olympics here and other sports and entertainment, hence the name. Um, events to stay and in, in be a part of, the, of Los Angeles in this important city uh, for those type of things. Um, I got involved through my work a number of years ago um, in just trying to contribute where I can and share some ideas and, and thoughts, and it's something I've maintained uh, contact with and, and been a part of um, the community of the Los Angeles Sports Entertainment Commission. But for the Super Bowl itself, no, I didn't. I didn't have personally a hand in that. But I'm a huge supporter of it, and the individuals that are at the lead of that are just some of the most extraordinary people, helping uh, really drive great events in the future for Los Angeles.
0: Okay, yeah, it, I thought it turned out pretty well, for, at least from my perspective. Um, second, it was I know so you're good. on, I know you're on Metallica's board for their nonprofit. Um, so, have you gotten to meet yeah. them? Uh
1: some of them, not the okay. whole band. So it's, it's, it's the evolution thing. Uh, I, I help with their advisory board. So they have a wonderful charity called the All Within My Hands Foundation. And so the All Within My Hands uh, helps uh, in a couple of areas, hunger relief, workforce education, and then around disaster relief, like when there's major global events, local services and supporting them. And here you have this rock band, which I'm a big fan of. You have this massive rock band that uh, has global expo- exposure. And what a great opportunity to help others. And so the, the foundation itself is very focused on creating with its reach, uh, helping individuals in those areas, like when there's wildfires or you know, there's an initiatives around community colleges where uh, women in welding, as an example, or helping individuals that want to get some blue trade collar skills and find jobs, the foundation has been able to provide some scholarships to those individuals and really help them get a start in their career. And so, mixing my favorite music together with uh, trying to help others is really like the coolest thing ever to me.
0: Heck yeah! Well, I, uh, one of the best yeah. concerts I ever saw, and, and you might have been there back at Pine Knob. I think it was 1990 two was the and justice for all tour. Um, and the yes. call opened up for Metallica. And I think I kind of lost some hearing that night because <laughs> it was loud.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah they're, yeah. they're just, it's an unbelievable organization doing wonderful things.
0: Yeah. They're, 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 they're a wonderful band. Um, all right, Chris. Well uh, yeah. Pleased to have the sober exec on our podcast. I am going to put links to all your materials uh, in, in the show notes and, um, yeah, it'd be great to meet up, you know, if you're in East Lansing or if you're in town, you know, maybe we can go to a game together or something and, uh, yeah, yeah. we got to stay in touch, man. But uh, any parting words you want to get to our listeners, any, uh, final, final things you want to say?
1: Uh, absolutely. So first, thank you, Derek, so much for having me on and appreciate your vulnerability and what, you know, your background and why you created this in the spirit of helping others. I am confident you just through this vehicle of speaking out and inviting guests on helping more people than, you know, so really I'm grateful for that. And then the chance to talk a little bit about my story, I'll just echo what I said earlier is there is no shame in being healthy. And to add on to that, there is no shame in asking for help. If you want to get and create a better life for yourself, simply ask for help. There is nothing we can do alone. And uh, I'll end on a quote, which is, I've never met an accomplished person with an easy past. It's really true. You've got to ask for help. And even if you've had a really hard past, the opportunity to grow and become a better version of yourself requires asking for help from others. And you can become that accomplished person, but you can't do it alone. So thanks, Derek, so much.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Chris. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, everyone who listened to The Recovering CEO today. And uh, we will see you next time. Have a good day, Chris.